Getting split Getting ready. Split Getting ready. split ready. Getting split ready. For my wife, God rest her soul. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. She's not dead. <laughs> We're just divorced. Unscripted and honest discussions on divorce and separation. Getting split ready. What was I supposed to tell him? I divorced you from the show? Here's your hosts, Doug Katz and Mariah Pleasant. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to the March edition of Getting Split Ready, quarantine edition, our first virtual podcast. And um, we're going to talk about some of the issues that impact people during times like this, during divorce. We have a great uh, panel today, and we're going to jump right in talking about divorce decrees. And leading off the conversation, Catherine McMahon-Vivanco from Kat Stefani. And talk a little bit about, you know, Mariah and I were talking the other day about what do you do with like parenting plans and divorce decrees and everything that comes with a divorce when all of a sudden you have to shelter in place and stuff like that? Yeah, it seems like right now a lot of plans are kind of just going out the window. Um, it's a very stressful time. There's kids home from school. People are trying to work from home. Um, it, it's going to be a difficult time for people to follow their parenting plans. I think the number one thing is communicating and making sure that you're communicating with um, your co-parent about what's going on, um, making decisions, where are the kids gonna be, who's gonna be home with them. Um, but yeah, a lot of these plans are, are out the window. We're not able to exercise our regular parenting time. You know, I think a big factor is our parents working from home and where are the kids gonna be during the day and can they even go back and forth? At some point it might not be safe for them, you know, to be going back and forth to different households. What about dealing with like, you know, just the challenges with some of the personalities, right? Because people are looking at things and saying, hey, you know, this is how it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to have some help here. If you end up the parent who, who's now 24-7, uh, seven days a week, potentially what I'm hearing, you know, my kids are off until April 3rd and we just got a shelter in place. How do you, how do you deal with that? I think that that's a good question. That's what everyone's trying to figure out. Um, again, I think the best way to deal with it is communicate what's going on and coming up with a joint plan. But yeah, if you're the parent with the kids and you're, you're on 24 seven, um, it's very challenging to, to jumble that. I think people are really just trying to do the best that they can. I think people need to stay mentally healthy, physically healthy, um, communicate with the co-parent, you know, what's, what's going on and, and making the best decisions that they can make. Um, Amy, from your perspective, you know, what do you see from a therapy perspective? Does it add a lot of stress with the parenting plan when you've got, um, you know, this going on and how do you deal with your clients? Absolutely. It adds stress to the parenting plan. I mean, already today I've had, um, co-parents that are almost forced to communicate more than they're more than they usually do. Right. And so for me, it's a lot about teachable moments with clients and just saying like, hey, you know, we're all in this together. And right now you don't have a choice. You have to speak to that person in order to make better decisions for your family. Um, you know, there's still a lot of parents that are co-parents that, that just don't talk at all. And we, in this time, we have to kind of rally together and, and learn how to communicate um, on the fly. So, so well, anybody, you know, because we got such a great panel here and, you know, um, is there now a visibility to this and should people be building their divorce decrees to, to take the stuff into account? Well, I think in our divorce decrees, we always build a lot of these things in. We always have a plan on communication. So, you know, we build in. Um, how are we communicating? Are we using a parenting app? Are we using our family wizard or talking parents or app close? Are we communicating by email and text? Um, you know, some of our higher conflict, conflict cases, we actually have a, a, an agreement where they send a weekly email on every Sunday with everything that happened during the week. I mean, we, we do get into a lot of detail often, but certainly these things should be built in, um, because then there's at least parameters in place. We know how we're communicating. We, we do that as much as we can. One of the questions that I had today was from a client, and I think this isn't uncommon in general, but people are reacting to this situation differently, right? 
Some people are taking it very seriously, you know, sheltering in place voluntarily before they're being told to do so. And some people are out and about and not taking it quite as seriously. And there's plenty to argue about that. But if two people who share children are taking it differently, how do they find agreement there? Um, the question that was posed to me was, you know, my ex-husband isn't taking this seriously at all. Can I keep my kids from him? And so the legality and the practicality of all that becomes an issue as well. Any thoughts on that? I've seen that come up quite a bit also. Um, I had a client the other day, the same thing where she did not want her husband to take the child out to a place and he did anyway. She was very upset. I think that's coming up a lot. Um, as far as can you keep the children away from your, your co-parent, um, you know, in general, in court, we can file motions to restrict someone's parenting time. It's a very high standard and a very high threshold. At this point of where we're at with what's going on in the current state, I don't think we're quite to that threshold yet of saying, hey, I need the court to step in and really limit this. We don't know where this is going to go, but maybe, you know, a week from now, if, if we're in a very um, a even stricter situation than we're in now, and there's clear violations and clear, someone's clearly jeopardizing the health or safety of a child, you know, we may be able to do that. But again, now we need to get access to the courthouse to do that, which is also being... Right extremely limited. So, you know, again, I think people have to use their best judgment. And again, it's all about communicating. And that's where I think someone like Amy, you know, as a therapist, we need a lot of people need therapists to help them help them figure out how to how to communicate. And they like you said, they just they have to figure it out right now. And well, is it, I mean, divorce and judgment, good judgment always go together, I'm sure. Definitely. Right. <laughs> safe to say too, though, that one of the costs of this um, national emergency is that some parents are going to miss out on parenting time, particularly if distance is an issue. If you have one parent in Chicago, one parent in New York, and the parent in New York is supposed to get spring break, that's just not going to happen right now, probably. And then how do we adjust for that? Right, that's right. I think on, on my end, both parties right now are very worried about either the children being like permanently kind of stuck with one of the parents or stuck with themselves and they still have to work and just the ramifications on both ends of that. And I think too, we may see some shifts where the primary uh, wage earner or the heavier wage earner, maybe the one who is suddenly unemployed and the person who, you know, maybe worked in a grocery store has the most secure employment and the most needed employment of the two. So shifting the parenting plan to adjust to different uh, work scenarios is important too. I think it, as you had touched on, flexibility is going to be paramount, but not always necessarily the strength of divorcees. Catherine, touching on something you said, um, you know, the court's like, when you're dealing with this stuff right now, and we were talking a little bit before in the virtual green room, I guess you could call it. Um, but what do you do when an emergency motion has to happen or something has to, has to move forward and you just don't even have access to the legal system? So right now, um, you know, every state and every county is doing things differently. Um, but, you know, here in Cook County and the neighboring counties, we right now we do have access to emergency judges. Um, they're, they're limited. And you have to have a true emergency to go there. So they are going to have strict sanctions and penalties for people that abuse that and really go in on something that's not emergent. But yes, if there is an emergency situation, a child is in danger, um, you know, something really, really dangerous is going on. As of now, we do have access to those judges. Um, the access is limited. Like you said, there's an issue of, you know, getting to the courthouse. There's people in the courthouse. You know, you're going to be in contact with people. Um, but I, you know, we can't say what's going to happen. I mean, I do think to a certain extent, the government is going to have to keep that access open and they've really restricted it, but I can't really see them shutting that down hundred percent, but it's more challenging. It's more challenging for everyone. I think the other thing that I'm hearing about just co-parenting relationships and work right now is that what happens when you have one parent that's kind of on the, in those frontline positions and they're yeah. a doctor or they're a police officer, or in their, they're in the National Guard, or even me, I'm feeling a little bit of a pinch right now with mental health, right? So definitely. what do we do with that? I mean, again, I think the answer is we, we need to come together and help each other out, but 
often really difficult in, in um, contentious cases. I also think people have to be open to searching for alternative dispute resolution methods. Um, maybe there was a family therapist that you used in the past. Um, there's a lot of attorneys who are also trained mediators and finding a mediator or a therapist who might help you just walk through the situation and what's the best outcome, what are our options in terms of outcome, help you think it through. Maybe it's not as cut and dry as maybe it seems and finding alternative ways to, to solve these problems rather than going to the few judges that we do have that are available. So there, there's a lot to unpack, I guess, for anybody. What what is some good advice for people as they're thinking about these things right now? Uh, Catherine, what about from a legal perspective? Um, well, I think I agree with Mariah that we need to think more about alternative um, dispute resolution options for people. I think that that's something everyone needs to be thinking about. Um, we need to work a little bit more collaboratively. Um, there are mediators who are doing mediations virtually and by telephone. It's not ideal because they're, yeah, it's not ideal because you're not sitting across the table from someone. It's not quite the same, but it can be very effective. And right now it's what we have and it's what we're all learning to do in all of our industries. You know, even what we're sitting here doing now, we've, we've yep. shifted the format here. Um, so I think that's something for people to think about. Um, you know, we want to progress their case. The problem is we don't want to say, you know, sorry, no one's going to be working on your case. And we don't want to stall anything, especially now there's more of an economic crunch on people. So we want to get their case done. We want to move it along. So we're going to try to work more collaboratively, um, have more phone conferences, maybe deal with some of these, you know, mediations the way that we can and still keep progressing people's cases along. I think that's really important for people. Mariah, what about for, from a mediation perspective? What do you think? I think it's important for people to know that it's an option. You know, if you need to change your parenting plan, you can change it yourself. If you're in agreement, you can work with a mediator, come up with a new parenting plan that fits the new normal for however long it's going to be and file that with the court. And then you have a new parenting plan that adapts to the situation. Um, and I think therapists are a good resource for that too, especially if you have a family therapist who's helped you through your family situations that already knows the ins and outs of your case just having that third party, it doesn't have to be the judge who makes the decision for you. It just might be someone who helps you think this through. Because uh, we're all dealing with new challenges, new fears and emotions, new um, kids at home all the time, possibly, that weren't always at home all the time. When, when I told the kids from four to five, you can't do anything because we're doing a podcast, that was really well received. I'm sure. Yeah, sure. You know, like I said earlier, I've seen everyone's kids. I've seen people's dogs and cats. Yeah. Like the rules of conference calls are changing as well, but we all just need to figure out the best way to adapt so that, so that our families are feeling the impact as little as possible. You know, and it's funny. I, um, the way I see it and, and I think I'm the, the, the least tied in in some ways, cause I'm from a transactional perspective on the mortgage side, you know, I do some mediation, but the, the basis of Split Ready, Mariah, when you and I formed this company, it was about thinking about divorce kind of as the disaster you know is coming. But when you sandwich disasters, preparedness becomes even more important. And uh, it will be interesting to see the lessons learned to see if there's appendices to existing divorce decrees or where divorce decrees change to take, in this, take this stuff into account. Well, I like to think that um, most of us who help create the marital settlement agreements think that we're being very thorough. I think that we think that we're trying to think through as many contingencies and what ifs as possible so that we have, can solve those problems in the process versus <coughs> dealing with them in the future. But I challenge anyone out there to have a parenting plan that includes a pandemic. This is just something that no one really saw coming to this level. And so it's a new challenge. Amy, anything else to add before we move on? I mean, the only thing that I can say is that if you can't figure it out if you're fighting with your co-parent, I think that therapists are the, are the way to turn, right? I mean, if you can't access your attorney and you can't fight it out in court, what do you do? Probably access the therapist, you know? We can help people kind of level the emotion, figure out what the emotion behind it all is, and really make better choices for their family. I actually think of it, I mean, it's unfortunate that we're going through this, but it, maybe it's an opportunity for people to learn how to communicate better and okay. to really act in um, a more adult and collaborative way, you know? I agree. I, awesome. think it, I think it really is, yeah. 
Well, we're going to move on. And Amari, can you do me a favor while we're going through this? Uh, we were having some technical difficulties. Can you make sure that we're still live on Facebook real quick? Sure. Awesome. Awesome. The, the, the joys of switching to technology. Um, but while you're doing that, and if you could give me a thumbs up if we're there, um, the other thing that this is impacting as people are watching the, the markets in free fall um, is some people are thinking about their retirements, but I, I know how many people pay for their divorces with things like quadros, right? They're pulling money out of retirement because that might be their only asset. They might, it might be considerable, <coughs> pardon me, but, um, and I don't have the coronavirus, it's just uh, I swallowed wrong. Um, but what do you do when you're, uh, it says we're recording, so I don't know if we are. I just wanted to make sure. Okay, making sure. Good, okay, we're good to go. Um, but for you as a CDFA, uh, and for those out there who don't know what that is, What's CDFA there, Mariah? Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. I always get it wrong. I always say advisor. I was going to get it wrong again. But what do you do when all of a sudden you're either considering divorce and the assets that you had in your mind to start a new life, maybe when we're done with this, it could be who knows what percentage of what they were when you were doing the mental calculus before. Or more importantly, and this is where I want some of your input, Catherine, is... Um, mm -hmm. What do you do when you're in the middle of a divorce and you were paying for it with assets that aren't there anymore? So there's a lot of considerations on the financial side. Obviously, um, by most accounts, we're looking at a recession. Um, anyone who's checked their 401k lately feels that uh, as a personal uh, issue. So the general fear of the economy right now is big. But if you're going through a divorce, that's just an added stressor. Um, the one that I had today was, you know, we're middle of mediation. We're almost towards the end. They've been separated for a few months. And then do we go back and do we change the 401k values? Cause they've changed. They've changed in the last two months. Um, the one that I worked on today, we decided to do that because they both had retirement assets. However, if only one person has a retirement asset and the value we're using is heavily inflated versus what the value is today, there's gonna to be a lot of thoughts and feelings that are different on each person's part as to what we should do. Um, so it's just another, another piece of the puzzle that needs to be addressed. Um, but there's also a lot of logistics that are involved. So if you're, say, recently towards the end or completing a divorce and you have a qualified domestic relations order in place for a dollar amount of a, 401k, you know, let's say someone's going to get $100,000 of a 401k that was $200,000 versus a percentage. Now they're getting $100,000 of an account that only has 150,000 in it. The quadro is what the quadro is. So something to think about as people are going through the process now. Um, but the most common one is I don't have a job anymore. How do I still pay child support? Which wasn't a question that didn't exist before. <laughs> it still existed. It's just existing a lot more, I think, all of a sudden. Um, and maybe you want to touch on that, uh, Catherine? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, in general, if the case is going on and the case is not done and someone loses their job, you know, that does happen from time to time. And it's, it's going to create an issue as far as how much support is that person going to be paying or receiving. Um, there's a concept under the law that we can impute income to someone and say, mm -hmm. well, this is what they could be or should be earning. Um, but given the severity of the massive job loss going on, and we're only at the beginning of this, I, I think the court would be harder pressed to impute income to someone because right now it's going to be, I mean, this isn't a time for someone to go and get a new job. Unfortunately, it's, it's a very difficult time. So yeah, if they can, you know, know, if they can even find it, you know, no one knows right, where this is going to go. Right. So we have that ability to impute that income, but that that's, that's changing. Um, I think that the practicality of that is now changing. Um, if it happens after a case is done, then that's the point where someone would need to modify their support obligation. So if a payor is paying child support, loses their job, normally what we say is you need to file your petition to modify that right away mm -hmm. um, because you can only modify your support retroactive to the time you file a petition. Um, now, we're still able to file things with the court. We're filing them online. We're just not able to get in front of a judge, but we can get that on file. Um, but the, the recipient, um, that person is required by law to keep paying, but if they don't have the money and they can't pay, you know, 
what are they going to do? You can't get blood from a stone. Right. So then now we've got the recipient is in a bind because now they're not getting the support that they rely on to pay their bills. Well, um, are there ever times, and, and you know, either Mariah or, or Catherine on this, and Amy too, because I know you probably deal with people with stress when they're like, oh my God, I've got no money anymore. Um, but are there times when you actually have to dissuade from somebody because they're no longer able to realistically afford a divorce? This was something that happened a lot in 2008, 2009, when we had the recession then. Um, that was actually the time that kind of didn't invent, but uh, made popular the term of nesting, um, where people would get divorced, but still stay in the same home because they couldn't afford to take what they were earning and move into two homes. Um, so that's certainly the case right now. I think it's a, if, you know, you have someone in the service industry or someone in, you know, retail industry, they're not going to have a job for a while and to move out on their own or have someone move out at that time is really difficult. Another big consideration right now is health insurance. If someone's going to lose health insurance as the result of a divorce, do you really want to lose health insurance in the middle of a pandemic? Probably not. Um, so taking those things into account is really important as I think we, I think we can safely say there may be a temporary lull in divorces for a couple months. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they increase after everyone's quarantined for a couple of months together as well. I, I read, I read something that diver, divorces and births are going to increase after this. And they're not going to be mutually exclusive. There could be. Oh, they might not be. They might not be. So, uh, I think that being in the same house together, um, for a few months is, could be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Um, but something I think that isn't being talked about enough, and I know it's not necessarily a financial topic, but, um, something that Amy might want to touch on too, is there are people who are being quarantined in their homes who are in really bad marriages or kids who are at home in family situations that really aren't healthy or safe for them and their outlets and their protection of school or the protection of friends and family just isn't there. And I think that's something we're going to have to address sooner than later too. I think a lot of that most of the time is also financial. I mean, you know, yeah. the two households um, thing is just not a possibility for some people. And, you know, I've worked with a lot of clients, actually, that that's the reason why they're staying with this person is because they just don't, they both don't think that they can make it on their own. So, again, like, the more that the collaborative community can come together or, you know, professionals to help them um, through that, I, I am definitely worried about the danger um, of all of that. So... Luckily, it seems like already we're having programs where the kids are being fed, at least, right? You can pick up lunches at school. That's great. But what happens, you know, if you have um, a really bad domestic violence situation in your home and you can't leave? What if you well, have someone going who's... To, going to shelters, you're, you're then exposing yourself to the, the numbers of people that you don't necessarily want in a pandemic like this. Or what if you have someone who's in active addiction who is unable to get whatever substance they're addicted to, whether it's because of economic reasons or logistics, um, or someone who was the abusive spouse who would leave for a large portion of the day and give that respite that isn't leaving anymore. So then financially, Mariah, like what can, what can people do when this is going on, right? Is it, is it hit the pause button until they actually know what they're going to have to start the, the next phase? I think they can if they're in a position to do so. I think people have to take their safety into account first and foremost. And the pandemic just adds another layer to that. It's always been the case. Like you have to take your safety first and foremost. This is just another challenge to safety. Um, but the fact that many people are self-isolating, the fact that many people are staying home does probably make available family resources that may not have been there before. You know, there's a lot of dynamics that are changing. You know, maybe you have a sister who is working from home for the next six months or however long, and that changes your childcare scenario for, there's a lot of moving parts. Um, so I think people need to be willing and able to think outside the box and that's where therapists, attorneys, mediators can kind of help think through the situations as well. And Catherine, for, for other folks out there who, you know, again, we talked in the last segment really about 
making a flexible divorce decree and things like that, it, as all this stuff changes, job status, uh, assets, all of the financial picture we're talking about now, what do they do? Is it, is it a huge amount of post-decree work? Like what, what, do you, what do you foresee happening? Well, you know, major changes should be um, entered by the court by way of an order. Um, for example, any modifications of support, if you agree to modify support with your ex-spouse, it really needs to be modified or codified in a court order. Or it's not enforceable, okay? Um, if it's something like you decide to change the schedule for your children, whether or not you really want to put that into the court order is up to you, but it's, again, it's just not enforceable. Um, right now, if we have limited access to the court, what I would suggest is people put agreements in writing and they can sign them um, to try to, you know, have them be um, documented and, you know, that's something that people can do. But yeah, I think that there will be some, some post-degree changes that are going to be coming um, due to this, most, most likely with uh, support, because like I said, it's very, it's very important to codify that in a court order. Um, but this is a time where, like you said, people's finances are down. So do they want to be paying for a lot of these things? Um, they may want to be limiting how much they're paying on attorney's fees, um, mediators, you know, all of that. So I think people just need to use their best judgment, um, work with their spouse, be, be flexible. If you can reach an agreement, great. Try to put it in writing and, and talk to an attorney about it. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, it really makes sense. And I think it really comes down to, and I kind of want to, to, to shift to Amy is, you know, it's about a mental, it's about how you're looking at it, right? It's about your mentally, how you're responding to the situation and, and, you know, leaving yourself open to options. Yeah. I mean, even in mediation, right. Where we kind of believe in like the ability to do the work. And I think that, that therapy is very similar. Like I think in these situations where people are going to need to save money and, they don't have access to the court system as freely as they did before. I think everyone just kind of needs to get into a different mindset of this is something that's happening. We can't control it and we need to be able to do the work and we need to put ourselves into that calm, relaxed zone to be able to figure some of these things out. And maybe step away from the agreements that they have already in the way that just because it's an agreement that you had a couple of years ago, doesn't mean it doesn't need to be modified today. Um, if situations have changed and the kids are with one parent primarily because of the situation, that one parent's going to have more expenses. They're not getting school lunches. Kids are eating all day long. If most kids are like mine. Um, so taking that into account and being flexible, I know we keep saying that, but being flexible and being aware that this is, a different time. It's not what we're used to in that. Absolutely. Need to be flexible. Well, um, I will also point out just on the financial side, because I push this all the time and people are going to hear it now. If you've been thinking about life insurance, I know it's morbid, but if you've thought about it and you know you need it and you don't have it, this is a really good time to put that in place. Um, people only move to action when they feel the need to move to action. And this may move some people. If you are dependent on child support or spousal support, that child support or spousal support is only as good as the payer's ability to pay you. Is there a pandemic so, clause in a lot of those? <laughs> no, not in most. Um, <laughs> and, in, so, and I'd add to that in most of our agreements, we do have requirements for life insurance to, um, to secure those obligations, yeah. the child support and the maintenance. So you, people also should make sure that they're compliant with that. If they have obligations, they should be compliant. Correct. So well, my PSA on life insurance. Yeah. Well, the sooner the, the better, right? Because if they, you know, for me, like I'm in great health, my heart issue, I, it's hard to get life insurance now. So to put that can, stuff in place early is a good way to go. And for most people, you can apply online. Right. There are really simple issue life insurance policies that you can do from the safety of your home. So during a pandemic, what during are you, a pandemic. While it's on the top of your mind, great time to get life insurance. Yep. All right, we're gonna move on. And Amy, you know, we were we were talking a little bit about, uh, and we're actually rolling out a new brand underneath Split Ready called Business Divorce Pro because we've got all our other brands, right? We've got mortgage, a divorce mortgage pro, and all these things. But there's times when people are married and business partners, mm -hmm. and 
it brings a whole new angle to it, right? And even before the, the quarantine craziness going on, we were going to talk about this um, because it's a, a really interesting side of it. So I wanted to lead off with you um, and talk a little bit about business divorce and when it's intertwined with actual divorce. Yeah, I think it gets complicated in so many ways because, I mean, most businesses, if they're smart about it, right, have ownership agreements. Mm -hmm. But some family businesses do not. And then in the divorce process, it just gets really dicey, right? Um, and then also business owners tend to have different roles in the business. Let's say that you're married and you have a business. There's usually one person that knows what's going on in the finances of the business and one person that is, you know, the, the creator and the creative one and the person that's building it. And those are two really different roles. And so I think in divorce um, and divorcing a business, uh, it just gets really, really difficult. Um, I think it's probably it's sometimes almost, almost more difficult than, than if, you know, one person was a salaried employee and one person was a business owner because there's so much emotional investment in, in your business as well as your life. Well, I think too, you're not separating just the marriage. If you're getting divorced and you own a business together, you have to separate the marriage, which is its own business, so to speak, not a very romantic version, but it's its own business, so to speak. But if both people are getting their primary income from a business together, which one of them walks away from it? Do they continue the business together even though they're getting divorced? Those are really difficult um, decisions, I think, and it's compounded when every part of your life is married. Catherine, what about from 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 the legal perspective? Do you, you know, how do you how do you approach it differently when you're representing somebody who is really going through two simultaneous divorces? Well, I think in any, when any case where the person is a business owner, whether or not they're partnered up with their spouse or other partners or just employed, um, self-employed 100%, the biggest issue is if they're going to buy their spouse out of that business, you know, that because let's say that business is a marital asset, where do they come up with the money to buy that person out? I think that's a big challenge a lot of times for business owners. That challenge would be there as well if it's two spouses owning a business together and they're going to divide it up. Um, I think it would be very difficult for people to stay in business together. People do it. It happens. Um, it's not unheard of, but it's its own. It, it's a different challenge, like like you've all mentioned. So, um, how is that going to work? How are you going to work together? How are you going to maintain that successful business and make sure that the business doesn't, you know, drop? Um, because there's certainly going to be new issues arising. I would think between the the business owners. Um, do they, How are we going to keep up? Do they ever have to have, because if they're in the same type of business, um, when they break it up, if they were to go into business separately in the same industry, do they ever have to have like a non-compete with each other? Um, yeah, I would think that that would be something that would be considered by the business attorneys. Um, so more I lawyers. That you, do they have more to have, lawyers. They have to have multi-levels of representation. So do you work closely with the business attorney when that's going on? Yeah, we would talk to the business attorneys, yes, um, because we're not going to give advice about, you know, just like we don't give tax or accounting advice, we're not going to give advice on that. But, you know, we certainly um, work with those individuals we work with, just like we do here, we would work with the therapist, we work with the CDFAs, we work with um, all of the other people on the team, so to speak, to make sure that everyone's on the same page, uh, maximizing um, the efficiency of, of the goals. I think people don't like to talk about this, but I also would like to say like, if you do own a business and then you plan to get married, a prenup is a really good idea because it makes this all a lot clearer if you need to separate it. Yeah, we actually had a great show on prenups and what, middenups kind of, where people <laughs> may have missed that train and, and gotten back on the train. Maybe there'll be a lot of those coming out of this as well. But yeah, I think it makes sense to, to make the rules uh, uh, early on. Well, think Definitely. about it down the line too if you've got a couple that divorces and let's just say they do manage to stay in business together whether it's by choice or choice or by economic necessity they decide to keep the business together if those two people remarry if you don't protect that business legally and one of them dies then you're now in business with your spouse's new spouse or your ex-spouse's new spouse so you really have to think it through to all the contingencies 
to make sure that you're not in a situation that doesn't work for you. Well, especially now, right? Because again, we were talking about financial issues just before this, but some of these businesses might not be here. Like they might be in the middle of a divorce negotiating this stuff. And, you know, at least I'm in Oak Park and we've seen a couple of businesses already announced that they're hanging up. Now I'm sure they were on shaky ground before that, but again, all the calculus changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of businesses are considering their options at this point, right? If you're a small business, if you don't have a way to pivot or to adapt your model to what's going on right now, they're trying to make funds available through uh, the SBA and other lending institutions. But if you aren't sure that you're going to make it, do you really want to take on additional debt or do you cut your mm-hmm. losses now and try and figure it out? It's complicated. I think if one person is the business owner in a divorce and the other person does not own the business, oftentimes the idea of the assets of the business is inflated, right? So I have a lot of conversations with people to say like, are you sure that you actually want 50% of this thing? Do you actually know what's going on with the finances? It might be a liability, right? Mm -hmm. And just that shift in mindset of like, well, he owns this business and I want half of it. Do you, do you know how to work in this business? Do you know anything about it? Do you, do you know the finances? Do you know what the debt is? Do you know, you know, and a lot of the times the answer is no. And it's just, um, it's just kind of having to calm down the nervous system and really like put it into place. Like if let's say that you were awarded some of this, would you even know what to do with it? Right. I think you're touching on a really good point too, in that there's a a shiny, shiny, it must be worth more, like people who own a business, there's a, there's a thought process or a stereotype to it. Um, and people who haven't owned a business probably don't realize that you work 24 seven and that it isn't always worth on paper or in reality, as much as it may seem, if you're the spouse of someone who owns a business and they are working 24 seven, and it's their baby and they're really dedicated to it and they you know, live and breathe their business, which a lot of small business owners do, the value of that business versus the perceived value of that business can be very, very different. Absolutely. And I think an important part of that too is, you know, in Illinois, um, there's two components of every business. There's an enterprise goodwill component and a personal goodwill component. And in Illinois, the personal goodwill component is non-marital that stays with the, the, the owner. So a lot of times it's educating our, our clients, um, as Amy mentioned, the, the non-business owning spouse. Well, first, we need to figure out what is this um, business worth? And we have to talk about doing a business valuation. Now, Do you want to define what those two pieces kind of mean in, in simple terms? Yeah, so every business, there's an enterprise goodwill is kind of the value of the business um, as far as um, there's tangible assets there's um there's actual your money sitting in bank accounts there's um assets of the company and the personal goodwill is what does that business owner bring to the table in other words if that business owner were going to walk away from the business and say i'm not going to transition these clients i'm not going to help you i'm not going to do anything um how much of the value of the business is lost with that person that's that personal goodwill um and so as part of a business valuation we have to kind of identify those components and so business valuations can also be very expensive. Mm -hmm. And so there always has to be a question of, do we want to spend money figuring out the value of this business? Or as Amy mentioned, is it something where maybe the business isn't worth much? You know, it's an analysis. We really have to go through a cost benefit analysis. Mm -hmm. Um, So I totally agree. A lot of it is educating the non-business owning spouse about what's going on. And that's why as part of the divorce process, we're gonna get documents, we're gonna get financial statements. We need to look at the bank statements we kind of need to start by doing that and figuring out what's going on if the person is not involved and doesn't really know. Well, you know, again, another, another fantastic topic that I think we're going to hear more about, you know, in the coming months, because like when we were talking about accounts, 401ks, all that kind of stuff, I think this is going to, you know, we're in uncharted territory, right? So, you know, going forward, you know, into the summer and, and, you know, beyond, uh, it will be interesting to see how that impacts a lot of these, uh, a lot of these divorces. So I want to move on and and talk about technology, right? Like just how, for instance, how we're doing this podcast. So this is the first virtual one we've done in 
you know, Mariah might end up the best way to do it at this point. Although we had some technical difficulties in the beginning, while we were doing it, I learned, you know, okay, this doesn't work and this works. And I think there's something also in divorce to do that, right? I know you do a ton of virtual mediation with Keystone. And um, Catherine, you were talking in the beginning that this is like your second Zoom call or your first Zoom call and you did another one earlier today. And where it's become commonplace in a lot of stuff, talk a little bit about how you guys see technology transform, transforming divorce especially going past this where people realize that there might be more efficient, less expensive ways to do things. Um, yeah. So we had, we had tried to build the online component of our mediation business over the last couple of years to assist with uh, divorces where distance is an issue um, to assist with divorce where, um, being in the same room really just isn't feasible for one reason or another. Um, and for convenience, right? Even in the Chicagoland area, if we need to meet at five o'clock on a Friday and people are 20 miles away from each other, it's two hours. So right. I am a firm believer in everyone sitting at the same table, but if some you, of the meetings a, can be do held. A, do you use a green screen, green screen with like unicorns and rainbows to make everybody like all happy? Yeah, with uh, meditations in the back. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so we had moved to that a while ago, but we're really moving to it more now, especially in terms of short-term needs, uh, kind of like we talked about earlier. It's a new situation. If you need to adjust your parenting plan, if you need to adjust your child support, if you need to adjust your living situation quickly, an online appointment with a therapist, a mediator, an attorney is going to be the easiest way to go, especially if we get further along in this and we're actually required to be at home. Um, I think it's interesting to use. So in mediation, you can all be around the same table. You can also, um, do like a shuttle mediation where the mediator goes between two different rooms and people are in two different rooms. I've never loved that way of doing it for people who have children, because I think if they can't come to the table in the first place, then how are they going to sit together at the, you know, soccer field or how are they going to be at graduation? It's not easy but it's important because the kids are involved. So this is kind of a in-between of those because you can still see facial expressions. Um, I think it's definitely better than a phone call. It allows for some give and take, but some distance as well. So I think it's important that we use this. I think we all should have bought a lot of stock in Zoom about a month ago. Um, but it's important to use this as a technology to help with the current situation. And moving forward, even if this wasn't going on, I think it's important to use as a platform. I'm even doing um, therapeutic parenting time via Zoom meeting. I was going to ask about like, I saw some some commercial and it was um, about like online therapy, you know, and like people meeting with therapists that way. And I was going to ask you if you're seeing that trend with people and, and what the benefits are. Yeah, I made a decision on Monday. All of our clients are now telehealth for now. Wow. And the insurances are covering it, right? Insurance are covering it, yeah. Well, and I think insurances every day are stepping up to the plate, thankfully. So yesterday we had um, Magellan approval across the board. I think all the insurance companies, we were worried a minute that it was not going to be approved, but luckily they are. And so your telehealth meetings with your therapist are um, covered just like your regular appointments would be. And people are just paying their copay. Interesting. So, um, now, Catherine, the legal industry sometimes doesn't move as fast, right? Like. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's not, it just is what it is. And, and I think, what do you see? I mean, do you see this becoming more of a trend uh, now that people have seen, you know, what it can do? I think so. I think that um, people that are behind are getting up to speed very quickly. And I think once we see how convenient and efficient this really is, we can use it more and more. I mean, I have to say, just sitting here on this podcast, seeing the four, you know, the four of our faces, um, it does almost feel like we're all in the same room. And I think that once you do it, you experience it, you think, you know, I could do a mediation like that. Um, I think that, that we're all going to see the benefits of that. And that's going to kind of keep pushing us along. It's all about efficiency. I mean, clients want their attorneys to be efficient, right? They're paying professionals by the hour. They want efficiency. Um, I think that this is going to help, you know, push us push us that way. And I think we all need to be open to it and flexible. And we need to embrace 
and not resist the changes, which is as hard as humans. I'm sure, Amy, you <laughs> deal with that with clients a lot, right? People don't really like change, and it's being forced upon us. So maybe Next some, we'll some good will come out of it. Actual reality where it will feel like you're in the same room. Right. Well, <laughs> and you know, it's, it's interesting because um, Mariah and I are actually launching a new brand, another one under Split Ready. We've had like a lot of um, uh, ideas come out of, especially this, and we're launching Divorce Tech Pro, which really gets to this, um, what we're talking about here, where, you know, it's, it's auditing of the different technologies available. And right now we're just talking about um, teleconferencing, replacing sitting in a room, but there's other technologies out there for things like storing documents, um, for things like um, scheduling. Uh, talk a little bit about what's out there. I know there's our family wizard, there's parenting things, there's a ton of stuff out there that really help people not only plan for, but execute the decree later on and, and keep everyone honest and, and manage that. I think that um, the, the parenting apps are huge, are very, very important and helpful. So Our Family Wizard is one that you're gonna hear a lot about. It's, it's a very popular one. There's a lot of other options out there. Um, the key is to have a platform for people to communicate, again, efficiently, but also one of the main features is that it tracks and documents everything and it doesn't allow people to change things, right? So if you're gonna show a judge an email thread, well, certain emails could have been deleted from the thread, they can pick and choose, and people can manipulate documents and data. And one of the key features of these parenting apps is that there can be no manipulation. So you're gonna print a string of communications that cannot be manipulated. So when the judges or mediators or attorneys are seeing them, they know that they're uh, credible. Um, they all, these parenting apps also allow for third parties to monitor. And for example, I can log into my client's accounts and I often do, and I just look and see what's going on with their messaging, what's going on with the calendar, so I can follow and kind of see if I need to talk to my client, if there's violations going on, um, and judges and mediators can do that too. So they're really helpful tools and they're just efficient. These apps also allow people to exchange receipts um, for you know, kids' activities, submit expense reimbursements. They have the shared calendar. The shared calendar is critical for people when they have kids with activities and parenting schedules and holidays and vacations, and it's just one place where they can really track everything. Um, in live time, you know, together. I had actually heard that there's one for like substance abuse when there's when there's substance abuse involved, where they have to blow into a breathalyzer or a test to make sure that they're sober before they, you know, pick up a child. I'm sure GPS is playing a big part in it too to make sure people are where they're supposed to be when they say they're they're supposed to be there. Yeah, and I think how this came about too when we were talking about it was using the technology that we all have. Um, we were joking with our technology team that uh, I am familiar with maybe 20% of the capabilities of all the stuff that we have. And I had asked a question, you know, how do we do this? And like, you have that. So I'm like, oh, really? Where? Where do I have it? And so we all have a lot of programs and apps that we have. And using the stuff that's already at our fingertips, you know, figuring out how to use Google Docs in a way that's shared. Or you can do a shared calendar on Google um, if you're in a more... Uh, amicable divorce and you don't need the the higher level of monitoring that our family wizard gives you but finding ways to use what you already have to your benefit and leverage that technology well, yeah. so that, uh, that article that article that we you know we have two articles that we just posted you know stuff like how do you build a secure document vault um you know i'm sure i'm sure you know amy and, and Catherine, you guys can very much speak to there's stuff that you have to store and have accessible mobile and that you have to have accessible all the time but you also need that encrypted and secured and there's great off-the-shelf stuff to do it there's dedicated platforms to do it you know there's a lot of stuff out there and uh, you know are you guys seeing a lot of integration of existing platforms yeah i'm actually in um a software changeover right now and this platform does everything you know as far as like automatic insurance verification my my person my billing person doesn't have to call people's insurance anymore we just like literally input the information push a button and it renews every 24 hours so if somebody, oh. somebody's insurance is wrong it pings it and it says hey get your client to give you the new insurance and then it also does collections and it also does scheduling and it also does billing and so 
for my practice, I believe that it's going to make everything a lot more efficient. Um, I know that, you know, positions like having an in-house billing person or, you know, an admin that may be eliminated are going to affect, um, you know, the economy in ways. But I think that the software um, becoming so good that also, you know, in, in my business, HIPAA compliance is very important, right? We don't want anyone's information to be shared. Um, and so all the client's notes are on there and, and um, the therapist can communicate. We have a client portal. So um, I, I'm a fan. I think it's great. I think that having too many cooks in the kitchen for a mental health practice is not very safe. So now with this new um, telehealth that we're doing, I think it just makes it even that more secure. I want to touch on something um, that Catherine said about, you know, just in the time that we've been on this call, that it feels like we're in the same room. I think it's important for parents uh, to consider leveraging technology, going back to our quarantine edition. You know, if kids aren't able to see the other parent or siblings or family members as much because of this, this is a really good way for people to stay connected, especially for littler kids who don't have any idea what's going on. Um, there are technologies that we have available to, to, and the, what's been going out there, the artists and the people reading books to kids mm -hmm. and the um, authors who are teaching how to illustrate and doing all of that out there. It's an important time to leverage that technology so that we can be connected while we're not physically connected. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I've been amazed like at the degree that one, with the education as an example, during this time, my kids are like, boom, they're on the stuff very easily. Um, they, I don't think they're really missing a beat. And I, I think it's huge. Um, but it, it will be interesting. This is, I think, the, the changes that people haven't really figured out that are going to really echo where what was kind of held out as a necessity for a really long time. Um, and nobody likes to be replaced or have something that they felt as important be replaced by technology. But I think, you know, this is, it's really, really interesting. It's funny when I was trying to set all this stuff up and I'm pretty, Mariah, you can, I'm pretty technical. Mm -hmm. I had to call my son down to help me get everything set up, get the, get the microphone set up and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and they are really good at that stuff. And, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, it's just really fascinating how that stuff stuff changes. Are there any platforms that people know about that the average divorcing consumer doesn't know about that, that you think you would like to highlight? Ooh. I'm like a blocking tackling guy. You know, I'm going splitready.com. That's my answer, splitready.com. There, yeah, there you go. I like that. What about you, Catherine? Any stuff that you've seen that's just really well put together software? Um. Well, I think we talked about these parenting communication apps, which I think are great. Um, as attorneys, we use a lot of software to calculate child support and maintenance. That's really critical for our business. Um, you know, that's not going to be something that consumers um, or parties are going to have, but that's something that their attorneys will have and, and mediators probably as well. Mm -hmm. So that's really critical for what we do. Um, you know, I think as far as exchanging information securely. I think, you know, a lot of people have to exchange taxes and things like that annually. And I think people very willy nilly these days just send these, that information by email. Yeah. Which, okay. That's fine. But you know, there are secure ways to, to send that information using like, you know, share file or Dropbox or whatever. So I think people think can think about that. Um, you know, as far as exchanging information, like I said, you can also exchange some of that information on the parenting apps. Um, it might be hard to exchange like really long, lengthy tax returns, but, um, you know, that's certainly an option too. Absolutely. You know, I think, again, we wrote a couple of articles, uh, or put a couple out in the last week about, you know, it all being about efficiency, um, cost, uh, accessibility and security, right? It's, you know, can you encrypt those documents? And, and a lot of people think that stuff's encrypted and it's not. So, you know, I would encourage people to go to our blog and, and read those because one, as Mariah said, they might already have the functionality. Two, they might be using two or three of the things that do the same thing and they could get rid of a couple of them and save money and then be able to reroute that into a parenting app or something like that, that actually adds value instead of redundancy. Um, but that's why actually we're rolling out this Divorce Tech Pro is to be able to audit people's situation, find out what, what programs that they're using, 
um, get rid of the ones that might not be adding value or maybe uh, leaving a security hole or something like that and then make certain recommendations, sort of a divorce geek squad kind of thing. Um, what about you, Amy? Any, any, uh, any uh, platforms that you really like? So I'm just going to say that to access mental health right now in a crisis is a really big deal, right? So your ability to access it. So I'm just going to kind of say the opposite right now, although there are many, many wonderful HIPAA compliant video platforms. Right now, the government just released a, state, a statement that said, no matter how you can access your therapist, do it. And we're going to kind of turn a blind eye at how you do that. So obviously, Facebook Messenger and um, FaceTime are not HIPAA compliant, right? But I think right now in this crisis, it's more important for clients to just feel like they can access therapy no matter how they do that. So no, that's great. I just don't want it to be, um, I just, I want it, I want it to be accessible for all. And luckily the government agrees with us right now. So. Well, it's, it's, it's really interesting. As you guys were talking about this, something popped up uh, in my messages and this is how far, and this isn't even related to divorce, but um, you know, I, I train in Aikido and I'm, we're doing a bunch of Zen stuff. Now there's one of my fellow, fellow um, students is teaching Zen and the, the dojo's closed until, until April. And we're now doing Zen sits where, believe it or not, nobody talks, but everybody's on Zoom together, <laughs> not talking, which is, sounds really bizarre, but it's the same connection. They were just doing it one day, now they're doing it three days a week. And it really speaks to really how technology kind of coming to everything is really changing things. So, um, I do want to direct one more technology question a little bit towards Amy, just kind of as a quarantine 2020 question that I know that we're all hearing questions about and struggling with is uh, screen time and kids. Like we've all been trying for the last decade to monitor screen time with our kids. And now all of the learning is on screen time and you know, they're in the house all day in, in Chicago where it's raining and 45 degrees today, they can't even really get outside. How do we balance that with, what we're supposed to be doing. Do you have any thoughts on that in terms of our kids' mental health, which is really important in this time? Yeah, so I've actually connected with um, the homeschool community on this, and really people that do homeschool, the kids in elementary school realistically only spend about three hours in education time each day, and then they have other activities built in. Okay. Now, as a parent who now has to work from home full-time, I'm not saying that's always doable, but I really think like the kids need to be on their devices to do their homework. And then um, as, as long as we can do it until the government may or may not tell us we can't, I think they need to be outside, even bundled up in rain boots and coats and scarves. Um, I, you know, I think that really what's important for kids to be on their devices though is to put a, a parental protection um, on yeah. there. And there. There are a lot of different programs to do that, but if you don't know anything about it, to just Google that. Um, Obviously, what we don't want to happen would be an influx of predators um, during this time when all the kids are on their devices. So, yeah. I got a video from my sister today of my six-year-old nephew shoveling the rainwater out of the uh, part where it pools because she told him it couldn't pool there or we were going to flood. So he's shoveling rainwater with all of his might and outside in the rain. I'm like, that's brilliant. Yeah. So, I like that. Well, and it, you, if you, especially if you drill holes in the shovel, that really keeps him busy. Right? <laughs> well, it's raining while he's shoveling rainwater. So it's that's brilliant. awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so, you know, a great show. I really want to thank our panelists, Catherine McMahon Vivanco from Kat Stefani, if they want to get hold of you, what's the best way for, for our listeners to get hold of you? So uh, we have a website, katstefani.com. You can find my bio and information there. Um, you can call or email me. I have that information on the website. Um, yep. And you're on Split Ready, a part of our Divorce Pro Network. Love having you on there. Uh, a great addition to our network. Amy Schillinger from Balanced Stress Management, if they want to get hold of you. How can they get hold of you? Right now you go to www.balancestresstx, T as in Tom, X as in xylophone.com, or you can call my office. It's 847-450-0524. And we're on the hunt to get you into our directory too. Yeah, Because yeah. you've been, this is, you're like a third time guest. So this is, you know, at this point, you know, we totally, totally got to get you on board. I know. Um, 
going to make a quick note that if, if for whatever reason, you know, you need a therapist, but you don't like me, my, my practice employs 15 other clinicians. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, if you like what we do, please like us, share our podcast, subscribe. Um, we oftentimes get a lot of people say, but I'm not getting a divorce uh, and I'm afraid my spouse might see it and totally get that. But it's so important for people to have this kind of knowledge. And if you, you know, chances are, you know, in the same way people have been talking about coronavirus actually, where you probably know someone who is high risk. You probably know someone who's going through a divorce and might need therapy or might need the expertise of a fantastic attorney who, who can point them in the right direction. So, you know, think about split ready when you hear about someone who needs that. Um, Mariah, let's sign off. Thanks for joining us on our split ready podcast. If you or someone, you know, needs help getting split ready, go to splitready.com. And uh, we will do our best to get you through your divorce with your finances, your integrity, and maybe some sanity intact. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you later.